Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Understanding sin. But before we go to the topic, I want to tell you a little, a little joke first. A little girl asked her mother, she said, Mommy, why is some of your hair white? So the mother replied, Well, every time you do something wrong, you make me unhappy. You sin against me and you sin against God. Then the little girl thought about it for a moment and then said, Mommy, how come all of grandma's hair is white? <laughs> so you see, sin is a very common word in the Bible. And it should be a very common word among Christian people. Unfortunately, it's not a common word in our society. No one wants to talk about sin, and no one even cares about what sin is and what sin is not. And you know, for us as a Christian, it's a very negative word. We don't want to be associated with sin. We don't want to be associated with sins. But, let me tell you something. As much as we don't like to be associated with sin and sinners, we all, we are sinners. Whether we like it or not, we are sinners. Sin is part of our daily life. We not just see it, see it on TV, see it on the street, we see it in school, see it on the social media. We are part of sin too. Occasionally, we slip into the sin too. So what is sin? What are the different categories of sin? And why is it important to know all of these things for us Christians? See, in the Old Testament, there is one very interesting scripture that enlightens us when it comes to the meaning of the word sin. In just one verse, it contains three different sins. Just one verse, one paragraph. And there are, this, in fact, these are three different categories of sin that can be committed against God. So if you open up your Bible, we'll start up today in Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. It says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and the fourth generations. So the, here in this one verse there are three categories of sin. One word that we use most often is sin, then is progression, and then there is inequity. So, just to bring into these three categories in our daily language, just so we can understand it, understand it a little bit better. What would happen if our society, let's say, you would cross the intersection of the right line, and you get caught for it? You'll get a ticket, you'll be fine, you might lose some points. So that will be called, according to God's standard, we call it a sin. Okay, now, the second category, transgression. What would happen if you commit a murder? In Canada, you'll probably spend the rest of your life in jail. Actually, you wouldn't spend, but that's what they call it, life in prison, but actually you may be released after 10 years, or even 15 years. But let's say you live in other countries, like China, or even the United States. In some states, you may receive death penalty for committing a crime, like murder. Let's go to the inequity. How we can understand inequity? Let's imagine you commit a treason against your own country. You're a high-level official, you work for government, you work for spy agency, and that, you know, from nowhere you just decided to, to, you know, sell all this information, all the data, secret data about your military service, let's say, to Chinese or to Russians. 
you just don't care about your country, you just want to make extra money. The only thing I think about it is just your bank account. That would be a treason. So how these three words, sin, transgressions, and inequity, how do they differ? See, sin, from the Bible, is anything that comes short of the glory of God. And you know, we go to Romans, you don't have to go there, but in Romans 3, chapter, chapter 3, and verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all know that. We all know the scripture. We all understand that we all short, we all fall short when it comes to God's standards. But no. The English word that we use so often sin has a little bit different meaning in a Hebrew language. So in Hebrew language, this word sin is translated from the, from the family of chata. C-H-A-T-T-A. It comes in a different form. But what it means is just meaning habitual sin of human frailty or slipping away from where you should be or erring from the path of which God puts you or, in other words, you are not achieving a standard that God had set for you or you just missed the mark or you just missed the path. The path. So that's the meaning of this word that we use so often in our English language, which is sin. That's chata in Hebrew. And you know, this single word is, one, is probably one of the most mistranslated words in the entire Bible. What do I mean by that? You know, when we think about sin, we think about something very negative. In a Hebrew language, sin it means, means make mistakes, make an error, okay? So it's a little bit slightly different meaning. And I will show you some of the examples in the Bible, this word, how it's translated. Okay? The translator pick and choose what they want to put. You go to Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20. I'll show you a few examples. Judges chapter 20 and verse 16. And it's very interesting. We're talking about last week. We're having a discussion, the fellowship after church service. They were talking about Benjamin, the left-handed people. And it says in verse 16, it says here, Among all these people were 700 selected men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at hair's breadth and not sin. Did you get it? So the same word that sometimes they translated as sin, in this day they say, and missed. So it's not a negative word. It's just they were so good at aiming, and so good at, at, at releasing, they wouldn't even miss a hair. So that's what it means. I'll show you another example. First King, chapter 1. King David is about to die. He's on his deathbed. First King, chapter 1. And now his wife, Bathsheba, approached him. And in verse 21, first King, chapter 1, and verse 21, it says, Otherwise, that his wife is talking to him, Otherwise, it will happen. When my Lord the King rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will not be counted as sinners. Just doesn't make any sense, right? In my Bible, New King James Version is translated offenders. But it's the same thing, it's the same Hebrew word, which means if the King David not appoint the king, he will say, My son will not reach its full potential that was designed by God. That's what this word means. Sin. Chata in Hebrew language. Now, the third example that we give you is a more serious example, and we're not going to go to the Bible right now, we'll go a little bit later. If you would study the, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, one of the sacrifices was called the sin offering. And this sin offering was only bring to God for sin that were unintentional. Okay? Unintentional sin. If you committed intentional sin, there was no sacrifice for that. So this translation, the sin offering, would actually would be wiser if they would put mistakes offering. We'll go through the scriptures a little bit later, but I just want you to show the difference, what I mean when we talk about sin. And why is this important when we talk about sin? Because people don't sin all the time. People make mistakes all the time. And God has designed us like that. Just like little children, okay? They wouldn't be able to walk if they don't fall first. They wouldn't be able to learn how to ride bikes as long as they don't fall down first. So that's the normal human process. The whole key is going through the spirit of mistakes and making mis mistakes is how we learn quickly from our mistakes. 
and we adjust it into our life. And that's what God wants us. God created us like that. And He knows that we will make, his, we will make mistakes along the way, but He wants us to learn from our mistakes and just move on. Let's go to the second category. We started with sin. Now, we talk about transgression. And remember we said transgression is like a committed murder. Or adultery. That's one of the things. The Hebrew word for this word, for transgression in the Bible is Pesha. P-E-S-H-A. P-E-S-H-A. So this is so much way worse than sin in general, which you translate sin, which is C-H-A-T-T, right? It had a death penalty associated to this sin. It meant to break away from authority. It is the sin of open and knowing revolt against God and His government structure. Transgression, transgression can lead into permanent bondage and is connected to trespass, which is a willful violation of God's law. A willful violation of God's law. It's not just a mistake. A willful violation. You know we're not supposed to do that. But you go against your will, and you go against your father's will, and let's say you kill somebody. That's a willful disobedience to God's, to God's law. And to best illustrate you what God means by transgressions in the Bible, we can go to Isaiah, and how Isaiah described the word. Isaiah chapter 24 Isaiah chapter 24, and right there in verse 5, 24 and verse, actually verse 4. So Isaiah chapter 24 and verse 4, he says, The earth mourns and fades away. The word languishes and fades away. The healthy people of the earth languish. And look at verse 5. The earth, the earth is also defiled under its inhabitants, because they have transgressed the laws changed the ordinance, and broken the everlasting covenants. That's what transgression is all about. And if you go to James in New Testament, James chapter 2, and James described it so beautiful too, in James chapter 2, and in verse 8, James starts here just breaking into the context, he says, if you, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, what law? And he mentions it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you do well. But, along the way, if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are, con and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You see how serious in the seriousness it is? As transgressors. And verse 10, whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. How come? How would be that so possible? He explained for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So basically, if you commit one of them, it doesn't matter. Because just if you commit once, that's a death penalty for you. So much for your life. You should be dead. So if you commit adultery and murder, it doesn't matter. You're guilty of them all. Because the penalty for this one transgression, for every transgression, is death penalty. That's how serious it is in God's eyes when we commit transgression. Now the third stage. We call it inequity. And remember the treason against your own country I gave it as an example. It's just, it's just like you deserve your God. And you totally you know just abandon your God and you go and worship Satan. That will be treason against God. That's how serious it is. And this word comes from the Hebrew word Avon. A-D- O-N, and means perversity. It means moral evil. When sin repeated against the knowledge of God becomes transgression, which if it continues long and long enough, eventually becomes inequity, which in turn perverts the whole flesh. Perverts the whole society. And we see perfect example in our societies. Nobody cares about God's law. Nobody even cares about man's law. As long as it's good for me, that's what I like. So brethren, when you come to this stage to inequity, inequity does not always signify what is wrong, right? But the tendency when you live in this stage is just to do constantly evil. That's what your heart is just inclined to do evil. 
And inequities are second nature sin which drive us to repeatedly, continually commit sin. Inequity is a perversion of the truth which leads to error and perver perversion of intents which affects our entire will. That's what the in inequity is. So brethren, inequity is a stage that is not covered by any blood in the body. Might be shocked, but that's true. It's not covered by any blood. Any, any, any sacrifices in the Bible. And inequity at this stage, when you're in equity, the whole being, the whole heart, needs to be replaced. That's basically what the Bible says. And we go to Psalm 51. David was fully aware of inequity, was fully aware of his transgressions. And, and David very well understand what he needs to say to slip away and receive grace of God. In Psalm 51, Psalm 51 and verse 5, look how David would beautifully describe. You see, all this thing we, I share with you with sin, with sin and transgression and equity. And now just read with me this Psalm and we see how David very well understood what it means. In verse 5, Behold, he says, I was brought forth in equity, and it said my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire true in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. And David is praying to God, he says, Scourge me with hyssop, and, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. May me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my inequities. And in verse 10, David is begging God for this. He says, Create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit, spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David was full aware of the transgression that he committed. He knew it. That only reward for whatever he did was death penalty. So brethren, so now we know what the different categories of sin are and how they progress. So let me illustrate you how it works in our daily society, so I have some idea. Sin is like sin. I'm talking about sin, okay? Chapa, sin. It's like having a, something attached to your ankle. Or like wearing a backpack. You know, you go along the way, around your life, and you make mistakes. So then another brick goes into your backpack. You go along, and you make another mistake. You don't learn any lessons. There's another brick in your backpack. Before you realize, your backpack is so heavy that you can't walk. Instead of crossing the line in one day, it takes you three months to cross the finish line. Eventually, you look at this thing and says, that's not fair. How come other people cross already? And I say, you know, I'm still walking. It's harder and harder. Then you think about, I can take shortcuts. And thinking about, how can you break God's law just so you cross this, you know, this line? And sometimes people will go so hard, so far away, they will commit adultery. They wouldn't even think about the consequences. Some people will go far, they will commit a murder. And eventually, when you start doing this thing, when you disregard your mistake, you don't learn the lessons from your mistakes, then you'll commit a harder crime against God. And eventually, when you keep doing this thing, you'll kill your heart. Your conscience in your heart will not respond anymore what's good or what's evil. It will say, you know what? Whatever is good for me, that's what I'm going to do. And then you'll become, you'll live in a stage of inequity. When you come to this stage, you don't really care about other human beings, and you don't care at all about God. And that's the stage that is most dangerous in the, in the whole life. And I hope that as a Christian, we'll never ever fade away to this stage. So brethren, that's how serious sin is in the Bible. And the best illustrations I can show you, the progression from sin all the way to inequity is in James. Again, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and in verse 13 right there, you see, James explained to the brethren, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So you have to, to make one thing clear. God will not tempt any one of us here. No. But how is this thing happening? Just keep reading but which one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed? 
if you spend too much time on the internet, and if you spend too much time trying to, let's say, for young people, you want to see pornography, it's not that God is trying to tempt you. You're tempting yourself. And sometimes when you lose control of making this mistake, you will end up in inequity. Just like that. So easy. So easy. Uh, James writes, he says that, but when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, because we, we then start to transgress, transgress God's law. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. That's the reward in the end. It just brings death. So as I said, what is so important to know? Because look at the progression of our society, what's happening. We know where we are. Just by understanding the matter of sin and trying to apply to our society, we can know where we are right now when it comes in terms of prophecy. So you see, sin, just simple word, chakra in the Bible, can be both voluntary, willful sin, and involuntary, sins of ignorance. Like, you know, we're talking about sins of commission and omission. Sin does not always involve breaking God's law. Does not always involve breaking God's law. Okay? Transgression, on the other hand, always involves God's law. Always. Any transgression is sin. And look, just listen to this one. One can be sinner, and one can be transgressor. No one can be inequitable. Is enough. You see, so there is no offering under any law for inequity. And most people don't realize that. And even Christians don't know that. That in the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices do not cover the more serious sin of inequity on a daily basis, like, you know, murder and adultery. Nor did the animal sacrifices cover the sin of rebellion, which is inequity. And this has stronger penalty than animal sacrifices. Let's go to Leviticus. We go, what I told you at the beginning, that we will visit Leviticus chapter 4, and look at some of the offering there. Leviticus chapter 4. So right there in my title, right there in my Bible, is, it's the title of it, of the chapter is, The Sin Offering, right? So we think like, when we sin, we can do some offerings, right? Read verse 2. It says here, right there, speak to the children, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a person sinned unintentionally, you see the difference? Unintentionally, if a person sinned unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does not, and, and does any of them, then he offer offering. Unintentionally. It's not that you know something you sin, and then you say, oh, I'll go to the temple and I'll offer an offering for that. No, it didn't work that, it didn't work back then. And it's not working now. Just look at verse 13. Now it says, Now the whole congregation of Israel, since unintentionally, that's the same word, unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, they have, they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord, in anything which should be not, not be done, and are guilty. So we see now talking about the entire assembly, congregation. Verse 22. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally. There is never ever or once work here in this chapter that somebody sinned intentionally. Unintentionally. And in verse 27, if any one of the common people sin the same way, unintentionally, unintentionally, that's the work here. Let's go to the next chapter. This one is also very interesting. It's, it's, it's similar. It's similar to transgression. It's called the trespass offer. And trespass offering, you didn't have such a harsh penalty, like a death penalty. Or let's say you steal something, you, you had to repay. If you didn't have money to repay, you became a slave. To whom you still till you repay all, the, all that you own. So it, look what it says here. And not just that, it covers many other things, the trespass offering. But just look at verse 1. It says, if a person sins in hearing the utterance, utterance of an oath, and is a witness, whether he has seen or no, known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. What do, I, what do I mean by that? You're a, you're, a, you're a witness to a crime. And there is a court procedure, pro, procedure and we'll say the elders, the elders of the town will say, if we have any witnesses to this crime, and you are a witness and you be quiet, you are guilty. You see, you are guilty. Under God's law, you are supposed to testify against what you have seen. And in today's society, we have a choice. 
And many people just ignore. They see evil happening in the street, they just turn their head the other way. They just walk by. They wouldn't even pay attention. What's happening says, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to be in trouble. I'll better walk away. And God said, no, we're not supposed to do that. And it, you know, it gives you even more than that. Also in verse 3 it says, if any person touches any unclean thing, that's what they had to do and do offering, the trespass offering. Verse 3, or if he touches human unclean, that was another thing that they had to do and offer sacrifice. Look at verse 4. Any person, or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, doesn't matter which one, but if you just speak, you use your brain, you remote, thoughtlessly, just talking. You're guilty too. He says, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty, yeah, if any of his mother. See how God serious is about sin, brethren? God is very serious about sin. And you know, how often we Christians say, we are not under the old covenant, we are under the new covenant. So we can gossip. You know, we can gossip. We can defame other human beings. You know, we ignore everything what's happened in society because, you know, we are so holy people, we don't have to weigh all this law of God. See how silly it is? Brethren, so as I said, there was no sacrifice in the Bible for intentional sin. You can look at yourself and see if you find it, let me know. But there is none. There is not any sacrifice for intentional sin. How does this thing apply to us? And just by the way, I was looking, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when I was doing this study on this subject. God gave us, in the Old Testament alone, the first five books of the Bible. God gave us 26 reasons where we can't take human's life away. 26 different reasons where people commit 26 different sins that we have the right to execute a human being. And we live in society, Christian society, that will say that killing a human being for crime is against God's will. I was shocked by that. God gave us in the Bible 26 reasons why should we do it and we say we should not murder we say no, we shouldn't execute the criminals it's amazing rhetoric is amazing why is it so important to us brother? go to Hebrew Hebrew chapter 10 Hebrew chapter 10 In verse 26. I'll read from New King James Version. In verse 26 it says, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, that is, there no longer remain a sacrifice for sins. This is not a proper translation. Let me read this one verse from NIV Version, New International Version. I think it gives, gives us a proper understanding of what the scripture is supposed to mean. It says, If we deliberately keep on singing after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. You see the difference, brethren? It's not that you just slept once, if you sin once, then there is no sacrifice remain for us. But what it says that if we keep singing and singing, after all the knowledge that we acquire about God and His law and everything, and forget, Christ's sacrifice, His blood, don't cover your sins. Just keep reading. He says, what happened then? But a certain fearful expectations of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries, anyone who has rejected Moses' law, that's what we just covered, the sacrifice and witnessing and, and, and things like that, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's how it is. You commit transgressions, there are witnesses to your transgression. Sorry. But people, government, has the right to execute you for your transgressions. There's no if, what, why, two witnesses, goodbye. You die. The life is over on this earth. But, of how much worse punishment do you suppose Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he, which he, by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? The Spirit of grace. If we willfully, deliberately keep singing, and singing will insult the Spirit of grace. How? He 
because we will treat Christ, Christ's blood, which was spilled to ratify the new covenant of Jesus and unholy day. Just think about how powerful it is. Purposeful rebellion, brethren, in the scripture is not covered by Christ's sacrifice, nor can even receive grace. Get it? That's how serious it is. Purposeful rebellion against God. Christ's sacrifice will not come. What I mean by this is like, oh, that's a harsh statement. No. Let's say I commit adultery. And go to my brother and says, you know what, I commit a sin. And I say, brother, please forgive me. I slept with your wife. And he says, okay, I'm a Christian, I'll forgive you. Next week later, I'll do the same thing. Brother, I did the same thing. Please forgive me. And the next week, and the next week, and the next week. How do I treat the blood of Christ that was spilled for my sin? You see what I mean? I'm doing it in a purposeful rebellion against the Father. The way what I show, the way of life that I try to live. Christ's sacrifice will not cover one for the sin. The only thing I can think of is the judgment. That's how, that's how, that's harsh it is. You might say it doesn't make sense, but just think about it. Can you reject God? Can you reject God's law? Can you reject God's mercy and say, you know what, I still have part of His covenant? Can you? It's impossible. Can you be a part of a kingdom and say, you know, I don't accept this king, and I don't accept this law, but I want to be part of this kingdom? Can you? It's impossible. So see how many Christians are deceiving today where the society say, you know, God's law is done away. You can do whatever you do. Christ can forgive you anything. Just, just keep on seeing. Keep on doing whatever they're doing. And it says, you know, Christ loves you all. That's it. Christ loves you all. Reverend, we read, Ryan read this song today. And we can learn something from David. Because his heart was always in God. He committed many sins. He committed a heavy transgression. He committed adultery. He committed a murder. But we can learn something from David. The psalm that you read today by Brother Ryan, Psalm 32. If you go there, brethren, Psalm 32. David realized what happened to King Saul right before him. Like how King Saul was rejected because of his rebellion against God. And David is fully aware that God has the same right to throw him away. God has the right to take his life at this moment, at this stage. And right here in verse 30, Psalm 32, he says, Blessed, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute inequity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning, all day long, in verse 5, it says, that's the key to David, that God actually spurred his life and kept him on the throne of Israel. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my inequity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the inequity of my sin. That was so special about David, that scripture calls him man after God's own heart. He made mistakes. He committed transgressions. But in the end, he had a repented heart. He was never fooling around. He was never joking around. When he found out something, what he did wrong, he fell on his knees. And he tried to repent it as best as he could. And last week, we had a youth study. And we were studying about Solomon. Character study about King, King Solomon. And you probably remember, brethren, that when he built his temple, Solomon had a dream and God appeared to him. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And now God says, I will do it. Just ask me anything, I will do it. And Solomon was so wise at that time, at his early years, he says, I want to have a wisdom, because your nation is so fast, and I need to govern it according to your law, so I need your wisdom. And God was so happy that he asked him for that. So he gave him wisdom, and he gave him more than just the wisdom. God gave him everything. So I asked young people, if they had the same chance like King Solomon, what would they ask God for? An unbelievable, wicked, unbelievable answer. Some would say, you know, like, I would like to have peace. 
a lady came to here and says, she would like to have the same character as God. And I never forget what Ryan said. He said, I would like to know, I would like to understand the part. And I didn't answer him this question last week because I'm thinking that's going to be perfectly lined up in my sermon this week. And I wish that every single one of us here in this room will ask and pray God for the same thing. Wisdom can lead us to destruction. We know what happened with Solomon. But if we ask God that God will create in us a new heart and give us understanding of His Word, then eventually we have the same character as Jesus Christ had, as our Father in heaven, the same character. So, sometimes when we pray and ask God for all kinds of things, remember, pray like David did. God, create in me a new heart. Once you have a new heart, heart that is aligned to God and to God's will, you will not, not, not only you will not only understand what the Bible says to you here, while you know how to apply this, God's will in your own life, and not just your own, but for your church, for your community, and for your family. That's how it is. And brethren, King David was such a great man. I want you to show descriptions why he was such a great man, not in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. If you go to the book of Acts chapter 13, what looks what look wrong about King David. Book of Acts chapter 13 and in verse in verse 22 he says he talk about Saul first, he says when he had removed himself, he raised up for them David as king to whom he also gave testimony and said I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why after my own heart? Look at the next sentence. Why? Because you see David, who will do all my will. That's the secret. That's the secret to all of this thing. He will do all my will. It's not that picking and choosing what's good for me or what benefits my life, but especially in a tough and difficult situation, we would rather say, I want to do God's will than receive all this glory from other human beings. So, brethren, let's study this heart that David had. Because if you want to battle the sin, we have to have this new heart. And I will show you some example. What was the difference between Saul, why Saul was rejected, and even though King David committed crime, more crimes than Saul did, he was accepted by God. And I will show you why. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter fifteen. And we all know the story, what what Saul was supposed to do and how he fell. And in verse twenty one, that's the sin that he committed. First Samuel chapter fifteen, verse twenty one. But the people took off the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been actually destroyed. That was the sin. To sacrifice to the Lord your God in so Samuel's project, he said, that's what he said, he said, that's a very famous quote in the Bible. He says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And he says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed that he, and, and, and to heed then the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And God hates them. And stubbornness is as inequity and idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. And look at, look at Saul's response. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Great response. I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Because I fear the people and obey their voice. So I sinned. That's a great response. But look, but look later. Oh, now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship with the Lord. Here, Samuel, come with me, come with me. You know, I lost the touch with my people. I want you to come with me because I want to be a king. I feel like a king. So he thought that as a king, he's the right 
He's the right to establish the rules and the laws. I'm the king. I can do whatever I, whatever I want. And God says, no, I make the rules. You just follow them. But now if you go to 2 Samuel, I want you to hear how David, you know, when he faces the problems committing all this transgression, how he responds. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And pick up the story in verse 9. Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9. And that's where prophet Nathan comes from David. And in the end, in verse 9 he says, Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, you see, as we read this, even if you make mistakes, young people, there are consequences for your mistakes. Doesn't mean that God won't forgive you. But there are always consequences to your mistakes, there are always consequences to your sins. And there are always consequences, huge consequences for your transgression. And look what God says to David, because what he did. He says, Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Raya the Hittite to be your wife, God says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversary against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this, of this son. And you know, sometimes we think that you know, nobody sees us, nobody knows what we're doing on the internet, nobody knows what we do on, on Facebook. He says, For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before all the sun. See, that's how God will repay for your mistakes, okay? So David said to Nathan, that's his response. The same almost like King Saul, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to him, Nathan said to David, he says, The Lord has put, your, put away your sin, and you shall not die. And that I think what David, at this moment, he realized. He should lose his position as a king. Because he disobeyed the law of God. And he, sh- he also he should lose his life. God was able to take his life anytime, any moment he wanted to. Just like that. And David fully understood this thing. And then God says, however, in verse 14. Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. He says, the child who is born to you shall surely die. And as we know, as this child was born, this child became sick. And David tried to still change God's, God's, God's will when he came to this child. He prayed. He fasted. He was so sad. He thought that he might change God's will when he comes to death. And look at verse 20 what it said. In verse, actually 19. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servant, Is the child dead? And they said, Yes, he's dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And look at the first thing that he did. After fasting for seven days. Look what he did. And the first thing he went into the house of the Lord. And worshipped. You see the difference in heart? He went to God first to worship God. And then, then he went to his own house. And, he, and, and, and when he requested. They said food before him. And he ate. He worshipped God first. And then he went to satisfy his own needs. To have some food. Just the little things like that can tell us a lot. The difference between the heart of David, King David, and the heart of King Solomon, or King Saul. Why King Saul failed, and David was exalted in the end, even though he committed transgressions. Even though he committed heavy transgressions. So, brethren, let's, let us go to Psalm 51 again. So, you see, David was fully aware of what he did. And he knows God gave him a life, second chance in his life, so to speak. Psalm 51. And look at this song from the beginning. Actually, just read verse 16 first. Verse 16, and we'll go to the beginning. In verse 16, David says, I know. I'm aware now what God needs from me. And he says in verse 16, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. David's supposed to be dead. There's no sacrifice for transgression. He said, if God would need sacrifice, David says, I would give it to you. 
but I can't. He says, I can't. You do not delight in burnt offerings. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken and contrite heart, and this of God you will not despise. Even if you don't make heavy mistakes, if we have the same heart, God is always willing to forgive us. Let's go to verse 1 of this psalm. Keep all these things in mind, what David did. Okay? And look at his life. And look what David We're able to write this beautiful psalms later on. He says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me totally from my inequity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. And my sin is always before me. Against you. You only have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak. And blameless when you judge. Behold. I was brought forth in inequity. And in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. And we read all of this, but in verse 10, it's just the same thing. What a wonderful part of the scripture. Create in me a clean heart of God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take, take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. And David did this, and God did this to David, and David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. That's what we should do as a Christian. We should spread the good news and teaching the people how they should repent, and, and tell them what the really transgression and what the really sin is inside of God. So brethren, let me encourage you today, as I told you before, when you get on your knees, as we ask for many things, let me remind you something that living here in this country, on this continent, when it comes to physical blessings, we are the most blessed people of the entire universe. Stop complaining if you don't have maybe enough dollars in your bank account. Because we have more than people living in Asia, people living in Africa. We don't have to worry and think about what we're going to eat when we get home tonight. We don't have to worry what we're going to wear tomorrow. We have all of this. Do me a favor. All of us. When you get home, when you pray, pray for this heart. That God will renew your heart. That He will create a brand new heart in you. That you have the same heart like David had. You will make mistakes you know, along the way. We'll commit sin against one another. But the whole thing is the forgiveness. Love of God in our hearts towards one another and towards God. Keep that in mind when you pray. And pray for one another. And not just, you know, I'll pray for my own new heart. But that you know God will create a new heart. In every single one of you. And in our young people. Because they are so blessed here. They know that millions of children living in this country no, don't have a clue. And they're in danger going through their lives experiencing from sin to transgression and end up in inequity at the end. Pray for them. Because many of us, we could say, we shouldn't say we are secure. But we so pass the test, so to speak. We know how to behave. But they will grow through this thing. They will experience many temptations in their life. They will experience many hard things in their life. And they yeah, still make many mistakes. Don't get angry at but just try to encourage them. And you know, learn from mistakes and just move on. So in conclusion, brethren. See, sin is a word that is used very often in the Bible. I forgot that, but it's hundreds of times it's used in the Bible. But this word sin is not used at all in our society. You've noticed that? At school, you will never hear a sin. You can turn on on Sunday, you can turn on TV on some Christian, Christian programs, and even there you won't hear much about sin either. Nobody wants to hear about sin. We all just want to feel good. And brethren, we all gonna miss the mark. We all gonna slip, 
and fail. We need to get up and we need to move on. I want to leave you with the one closing scripture today that comes from Matthew chapter 7. Okay? Some of us are better than the others. Some of us have bigger hearts than the others. But Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, one of the disciples, and he says in verse, right here in verse 1, Matthew chapter 7, he says, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what, what judgment you judge, you will be judged. If the measure you use will be measured back to you. And when do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at plank in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Not, and it will be opened to you. God's Holy Spirit is open to every single one of them. God's Holy Spirit can change your heart, can change your life, if you let God to do that. So brethren, after study, when I learned of all this, this, all this sin that is in the Bible, I came to the conclusion that I have nothing to boast against anyone. I'm a sinner. And you know what? You are sinners too. If you commit one transgression, it's the same as I committed three transgressions. In the end, you will have death and all. And we only alive because of God's mercy. Brethren, be merciful to one another and don't sin. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.